0: Hey everyone, it's David here. We will begin today's episode very shortly, but I wanted to begin with an apology. Because in today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Sister Natalia and Father Michael. And I used the word dearth several times. And Sister Natalia said that she wanted to use it more in conversation. But on listening back to the episode, I realized that I was using dearth incorrectly. It's one of those words that people often get wrong, and I'm afraid to say I used it completely incorrectly in this episode. I thought that if there was a dearth of something, it meant that there was uh, plenty of something, that there was an excess. Uh, But it's actually the complete opposite. I'm looking at the dictionary definition here, and it says dearth, noun, a scarcity or lack of something. So in light of that, I would now like to apologise. I've let you down, I've let Matt down, I've let Andrew down, I've let myself down, but worst of all, I have let Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II down, and I hereby resolve to be, in the future, a better ambassador for the English language. And now we have got that out of the way, please enjoy today's episode. Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 8. The Screwtape Letters, Letter Number 4. Living on a prayer. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Pints for Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where Matt, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. As I've mentioned before on earlier episodes, each of the Screwtape letters is just known by a number. Letter one, letter two. And that's not very memorable. So therefore, in this season, we're giving each letter and episode a name. And we're going to be naming it after a song title. And today's episode title comes from Bon Jovi's Livin' on a Prayer. Uh, since prayer is the central subject of today's Screwtape epistle. Having said that, because of the advice that Screwtape is going to give his nephew in this letter, I very nearly named this letter after Maurice Albert's song, Feelings, Nothing More Than Feelings. And I'm sure you'll understand why as we proceed through the letter. But before we get to that, I should explain who is with me today. To help me unpack today's letter, I have not one, but two guest co-hosts, both from the podcast, What God Is Not?, Today, I'm joined by Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Father Michael, Sister Natalia, welcome to Pints for Jack. Thank you for having us. This is great. It's
1: good to be here. Thanks.
0: Now, normally I would read a prepared bio for each of my co hosts, but in the first episode of their podcast, What God Is Not, Father Michael and Sister Natalia introduced each other. And since that's less work for me and I thought it was also rather cute, I thought I'd ask them to do the same here. So, Father Michael, can you please tell us,
2: who is Sister Natalia? Absolutely. So Sister Natalia is a young woman who I met at my parish when I was the pastor at our Byzantine Catholic parish in Denver. And she came on a first date with a guy and... uh I think it only lasted one date. Their relationship did not endure, <laughs> um, which is, of course, of our Lord. now that she is beautifully celibate. Um, and she continued coming, and she was a military brat, Navy, parents. So I think she spent the most time in Guantanamo Bay in Cuba uh, fighting the various flora and fauna from the stories I've heard. Uh, she ended up <laughs> landing in Denver, Colorado, where I met her. Um, she had had a stepping away of the faith at one point in her entire family because of a tragedy in the family. And she was, her face was being reinvigorated by her participation with focus when she was at the school of minds. Uh, she is absolutely academically brilliant, a, uh, student of physics and engineering. Um, so she has all of the, the heady stuff and the heart as well in droves. Um, I was had the honor of being her spiritual father for, nine ten years now and and accompanying her and and reverencing what our lord was doing in her life as he moved her from academics to dating to ministry to teaching and now into the religious life where she is because of covid her final profession has been delayed we're still waiting for that date to come along and with eager anticipation of her giving her life completely to our lord wonderful so sister
0: natalia who's this guy
1: That's so nice. I'm going to have to say nice things about you now. I'll scrap everything I prepared. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Father Michael O'Loughlin was raised Roman Catholic until he was a teenager. Yeah. How old were you? 13, maybe? 17. That's a big difference. Um, Started going to the Byzantine Church, fell in love with it, Byzantine Rite. And he was ordained a priest, celibate priest, which is a distinction we have to make in the East, in... 2005 I know don't be hand signaling me um 2005 May 25th
2: wow yes true
1: that's right um no hand signals there so May 25th he was ordained a priest and it's been really beautiful as he said I've I've known him for he's been my spiritual father my spiritual director for almost 10 years now um and it's been so beautiful to see his fatherhood blossom and He's, he's got these these great gifts as a priest of really giving himself fully to each person that he encounters and really embracing all of those people as his spiritual children, as God introduces them into his life. And this gift for, for speaking so eloquently and speaking the truth, but with great love, which has been so good to see. He's also um, a budding guitarist. So there's that and
0: (laughs)
2: very very beginning of budding Mm -hmm. you need to start another podcast what music is not (laughs) exactly exactly i I jokingly wrote our theme song that is not our theme song for the podcast with just rage guitaring and singing (laughs) words and a sister that that's how she thinks that it's a a budding (laughs) career here
0: well i knew father michael from catholic stuff you should know i was I was an early adopter. I started listening to you guys, I think it was the Tetragrammaton episode, so it was fairly early on, Uh, and as listeners will know, I'm also going to Byzantine parishes, so I bumped into him occasionally at the Eparchy, and then at the wedding of uh, my friend Bridget Eames, she was marrying a guy called Riley, and they had Father Michael preach his homily at their wedding. And I've quoted it many times since I was also just crowned in marriage myself, uh, when you spoke about, you get your crowns now. Mm -hmm. So when the suffering happens later, you get to look at the
2: crowns, you get to see (laughs) the glory once more. Mm. (laughs) And you also emceed pretty much that entire wedding. So that was when I got to see your uh, love of structure and ability Mm -hmm. to to do that very well, David. (laughs) To herd cats. Yes.
1: That was was (laughs) fun.
0: And Sister Natalia, uh, you came on my radar with the Pints with Aquinas interview, which ah, was mm-hmm. uh, which was wonderful because uh, several people had asked me, do Byzantines have monks and nuns? And so it was great to be able to then send them a video. Awesome. But before we get into uh, today's letter uh, and we get, get on with the uh, episode format, you guys have a podcast, What God Is Not. Can you just give us like a 30 second pitch for what your podcast is? Because there are lots of
2: podcasts out there, you know, there are great ones, there are terrible ones, the ones in between. So, which are you? I'm going to hand this off to you, sister, since I have thought about this a lot and talked about it many, many times. So let, let's oh. see how much you've learned. <laughs> All
1: right, um, I don't really know what our podcast is about. So our podcast was Father Michael's idea. I was just invited into it as a sidekick of sorts. But what God is not is a Byzantine Catholic podcast. But most of our listeners are probably Roman and. It's the, the title is in reference to apophatic theology, which is the theology primarily used in the it's the theology we primarily use in the East, which is to talk about what God is not as opposed to to what he is, because in our in our limited human language, we just aren't able to adequately describe what or who God is. But we know the things that he's not. Uh, so so, for example, we'll often refer to him as being ineffable, inconceivable, incomprehensible, things like this. So each episode we talk about various topics that are are relevant to to really anyone we've had um topics on ways of prayer, topics on having loved ones leave the church, things like this, but we we try to include in that any sort of eastern eastern take on it or reference to the desert fathers, things like that.
0: And that's going to come in very very handy today. Because as I mentioned before, Screwtape's epistle this time is all on the subject of prayer and also about befuddling the patient, making him think that God is something which he perhaps isn't, or mm. perhaps having a, a, a blurred vision of God and being more than happy with it. Uh, but uh, let's, let's get to the letter. But before we get to the letter, we have to have the quote of the week, drink of the week and toast. So the quote of the week is from this letter. And here Screwtape writes... Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling, and never let them suspect how much the success or failure of that kind depends on whether they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. Now, for the drink of the week, I am drinking a little bit more of the Eagle Rare bourbon, and as a chaser, I'm having a cup of tea, because I'm English and it's just what I do. Uh, What about you two? Are you drinking water,
2: coffee, anything stronger that you're willing to admit at any rate? So I am hmm. drinking a, uh, a Polliner Munchen, uh, the Salvatore Double Bach. Lovely. And the reason I'm drinking this is because this was... The first time in my 16 years of priesthood that someone has bought me a beer on Buy a Priest a Beer Day. So a lot of times they would find out about it late. And here in, in my newest time in Los Angeles, where I'm a priest now, um, somebody walked up and handed me a six-pack of this. And I've, I've already had two of them. So, so Buy a Priest a Beer Day is was last week, but I'm, I'm still finishing off the six-pack with you guys. And I'm assuming priests will still accept donations late. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, God is outside of space and time and we can, uh, we can accept beers even though it's not on the right day. Absolutely. Beautiful. Is there by a nun
1: a beer day? <laughs> we
2: will have to start that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, you,
2: you, you have the platform.
0: I, I, right. I say set it up for a couple of months time.
1: Okay, a couple of months time. When is this episode coming out?
0: Uh, this will come out in a month or two, probably two months. Okay. Uh, probably two but months. you could also set it for whenever you complete your profession.
1: That's true. Great idea. My profession anniversary will be buy a nun a beer day.
0: There you go. You heard <laughs> it here first.
1: And then all nuns, all nuns will be reaping the fruits of my life profession.
0: They, they can, they can, they can toast your health and after <laughs> your death, ask for your intercession. <laughs>
1: That's right. Um, I am drinking throat coat tea, not because my throat is sore, but just because I like the way it tastes. And from my Oakland Raiders mug, which is now outdated because we're now the Las Vegas Raiders. But It's
2: a weird world. <laughs> I had every intention of stealing that mug when I left and our Lord took the idea <gasps> from my mind, sister. Wouldn't that have been hilarious? Oh, it would have been so awesome. Anyway, Do you mean
1: when you were here a couple weeks ago?
2: <laughs> yes, that was. I literally thought about that almost every day. And our Lord took the <laughs> idea from my mind on the last day I was there and I forgot to steal it. Next time
1: by reminding you of the commandment <laughs> to not steal. <laughs> right.
2: We'll see. Our, our Lord is going to support me next time, I believe.
1: I think David wanted to move on to the Patreon toast.
2: Yeah, let's 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 talk about the Patreon toast
0: because one of the benefits uh, of gold level support on Patreon is that we toast a gold level supporter each week. But this past month we actually haven't had any new gold level supporters, but we have had a dearth of silver level supporters and thanks to them we've actually very nearly reached our next Patreon goal. So thanks for that, and today's toast is for you. So if you'll please raise your glasses. May you always be attentive to the voice of the shepherd. May you grow in knowledge of who God is and also what God is not.
2: Cheers. 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 I wish I could say it with that accent. It sounds so much more authentic. Nostrovia for us Byzantines. (laughs) Nostrovia.
1: I also want to start using the word dearth because that's pretty great.
0: So today we are reading letter four from the Screwtape Letters, which was first published in The Guardian on the 23rd of May, 1941, and here is my 100-word summary. Screwtape instructs his nephew on the subject of prayer. Ideally, the patient must be kept from prayer, but if he must, he should be encouraged to belittle the formal prayers of his youth, and instead to imitate superficially the prayer of silence. At the very least, he must think his bodily position during prayer is unimportant. Above all, he must get the patient to focus on his own feelings, rather than God, during prayer. And his concept of who God is must be kept as muddled and as tamed as possible, and be completely ignorant that that is the case. So let's dig into it. Screwtape kicks off this letter by attacking his nephew's veiled criticisms of him in the last letter. If you recall, Screwtape had given him some advice about disrupting the patient's uh, prayers for his mother. And Screwtape tells Wormwood that he must pay for his own blunders. And because of his nephew's amateurish suggestions with regard to prayer, Screwtape is going to devote this entire epistle to the subject of prayer. And he begins with some good advice if you're a devil. He says the best thing, where it is possible, is to keep the patient from the serious intention of praying altogether. But he then goes on and says that since the patient has only relatively recently reconverted to Christianity, Screwtape tells him that he should remind him of his his childhood prayers. He calls them the parrot-like nature of his prayers in childhood. And he says that in reaction against that, he may be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous inward informal and unregularized and what this will actually mean to a beginner will be an effort to produce in himself a vaguely devotional mood in which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part and in relation to this he points to the english poet samuel taylor coleridge uh, and coleridge and wordsworth they founded the romantic movement and they both had a great impact on lewis and in his passage screwtape says Get him to imitate Coleridge, because he says that this will have a very superficial resemblance to this prayer in silence that I would like father and sister to unpack in a moment. Uh, And he quotes a few lines from a poem that Coleridge wrote called The Pains of Sleep. Ere on my bed, my limbs I lay, it hath not been my use to pray with moving lips or bending knees, but silently by slow degrees, my spirit I to love compose, in humble truth mine eyelids close. With reverential resignation, no wish conceived, no thought expressed, only a sense of supplication, a sense, oh my soul, impressed, that I am weak, yet not unblessed, since in me, round me, everywhere, eternal strength and wisdom are. So that's how he wants his patient to pray. Because he says if he tries that, he's going to be trying something that, uh, pretty much, he seems to say that only, only advanced prayers should do this. So, Father, Sister, what what do you make of, of this suggestion of Screw Tape?
2: You know, I there's the wisdom of our fathers. Um, there's in moments of great, great anxiety and in moments of great distraught. I think we all understand that the purest prayer comes about. And I think that there's a the the example I oftentimes give is when my father was so insecure when he had a heart attack and he thought he was dying. And he was, he was trying to compose, in the midst of this great tension, kind of his final words, <laughs> final testament at the, at the moment of his death, and and he couldn't think of anything, and he just prayed the Our Father, and he prayed it out loud, and my mother heard him praying. And he became insecure about this and said, I was so ineloquent as I was dying, because he didn't die, of course, so he could tell me this, but I was so ineloquent, and I said, Dad, the Our Father is eloquent. That's why we're, we memorize prayers the importance in the in the eastern church of prostrations and making a sign of the cross and and all the smells and the bells the sacramentals um the, these are the ways that we actually use our physical body the engagement of the five senses is the way that we use our 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 entire self our entire body in our prayer so um, it's too easy. I've done this myself. I, I will, s- instead of saying my prayers, in my icon corner in front of the icons, using incense, and lighting candles, I'll just be like, I'm going to do the ones I've memorized. And I'm going to do them in bed and I will lay down in bed and I will think about prayer. And I will say, <laughs> What look at me, Lord praying. Like and that becomes my prayer rather than engaging with our Lord. And sometimes the, the 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 tangible things like I love how he brings up posture. Posture is so important in the Eastern Christian Church. Standing is a dignified position, the greatest position of prayer. Kneeling means penance. Um, prostrations, of course, is extreme penance done during the Great Fast. So there's there's something about the the jettisoning of our humanity and believing that prayer needs to be something more than our our physical selves and our complete selves engaging with what our Lord is doing and acknowledging as, as this letter develops later on um, the, the true presence of Christ rather than um, thinking about me praying, I'm actually praying. And Mm -hmm. it's too easy to, to be so focused on, on the fact that I'm praying that we don't get to the point where we're actually praying.
1: I think that, what strikes me the most about just this particular aspect of it, about the the prayer of silence and this temptation to draw into the prayer of silence and and kind of get rid of these these memorized prayers, these structured prayers that we've that we've learned from from our parents or from the church or wherever. I think that's something that's very real about this temptation. Is particularly in our society today, we want to be experts at things. But we don't necessarily want to work to get to the expert level, and so you know we want to just. Um, I was thinking of this because I was, I was talking with someone recently about how they just basically have not exercised at all, and then did this super intense exercise, <laughs> and then the next day they were demolished, and and it wasn't the good kind of sore. It was just it was just like they were completely debilitated. It's the and, take
0: me now, Jesus kind of soul.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think that this is something that we do even in prayer is is we don't want to use the the steps or the building blocks that are given to us in the wisdom of the church and and not just steps and building blocks in the sense of they're always they're always being changed, but they're, they're the foundation. I mean, these are the prayers that, that monks and and nuns are praying to the end of their lives. You know, we're still praying the Psalms in the chapel. We're still praying the, our father multiple times a day, things like that. And, but, but people I think can be, they're like, now that I'm starting to pray, I just, I just want to be with the experts. So they start reading the mystics and they, they want to be at that level, but, but you can't, you can't pray this prayer of the mystics if you haven't first been humbled and and if you haven't first experienced what it is to to be taught in prayer, um, because it's it's very much a, a self-reliant kind of trying to attain to prayer on your own, which in and of itself is pride. And I think that's a, a great temptation in our society because it's what we do with, with many things, not just with prayer.
0: I just want to go back a moment though. What is Lewis talking about when he's talking about this prayer of silence? Is he just meaning being silent before God? Or is it, is
2: it something more than that? So when he is criticizing the prayer of silence, correct? You're the expert, David. Is is
0: he... He's saying that he wants the patient to shoot for the, the prayer of silence. He doesn't really unpack a whole lot of what that is. He just gives this example of Coleridge, where it seems to be,
2: I just turned my soul towards God and that was my prayer. I, I, I think that reflects a... A temptation, and as I mentioned earlier, even a laziness to to just have prayer be something happening in my head, and, mm-hmm. and that's the only place it happens. So there, there's no outward manifestation of the prayer, um, but rather a if the prayer is only in my head, then then I am much more prone to what he criticizes later in the way of feelings. Mm-hmm. It's just it, how is this making me feel? Is it is it putting me in a in a peaceful place that is very surface, and and if I'm not you know, walking the walk. We get criticized all the time as Catholics because we have things like days of fasting. We have, you know, days of obligation. We have things that, that you actually have to walk the walk. Um, You actually have to put your your prayer into action, you know, the, the, the meritorious uh, grace is given through the love of the poor and uh, of, of the reading of the scriptures and the graces that come, the forgiveness of sins, etc. So I think the it's it's too easy to take and manipulate our idea of prayer to something that's just convenient for us and easy and not makes me feel good and that's that's where it stops it's it doesn't take sacrifice and it has no effect on the world outside of me it's just it's living in my head therefore i define in my head if it's worthy or not worthy if it's efficacious or not and that's just not the way that christ works in his church and evaluating it based on the feelings that it generates yeah. Uh, in in preparation
0: for this chapter, I flicked back through Letters to Malcolm, uh, which is, the full title is Letters to Malcolm Chiefly on Prayer. So he spends a lot of time talking about prayer. And uh, in letter two, he says, mental acts can become merely imaginative or emotional acts, and a fabricated emotion is a miserable affair. Mm. I'm just trying to work myself up into a particular interior state.
1: Yes. Mm. I, I think there's, I think that, you touched on half of it father michael there in the laziness but i i do like that screwtape points out that he he says that this is good for because both clever and lazy patients can be taken in by it for quite a long time so i think you covered the laziness aspect well but i think that there's also the cleverness of and i think that's maybe what you're touching on with the the getting stuck in our head um so we can be sitting in this you know, I, I oftentimes will tell someone, oh, you know, I prayed about this. But then I, I thought back on it and I'm like, I didn't really pray about this. I thought about this. <laughs> and, and I think that there can be a difference there. We can be sitting and, and just be, be fooled into thinking that just because we're in an external silence, then that means that we are in the silence that is the presence of God that Screwtape is referring to. And he's talking about those who are advanced in the enemy's service, i.e. in, in the service of God.
0: Real prayer warriors. And the more I think about it, the more this section seems to be pointing at a kind of Gnosticism that divorces the the the, the body and soul, you know, spirit good, body bad. Yes. Because, Father, you mentioned that later Screwtape says uh, you've got to persuade the patient to think that his body position makes no difference to his prayers. Mm-hmm. He says they constantly forget, uh, and this is you must always remember, Wormwood, that they are animals
2: and whatever their bodies do affects their souls. Yeah. I, I I met with a, a secular friend just this past week and I, I've been realizing that the, the generations below me, um, that there's such a relativism among them and such an individualism that that there's when they meet a priest and they've never met a priest before, but they meet me as a priest and and the the basic instinct is just to start sharing their concept of spirituality. And i've <laughs> I've I've been here a year and never been asked anything. It's always here is what I believe spirituality is. Here is what I believe God is. And and so there's I I don't I'm not offended by that because I think that's just how they bond, right? With so subjective that you offer your concept of spirituality, I'll offer mine, and now we're bonding. Okay. Um, but I had one for the first time. One of my new friends here, secular friends, said, you know. So, I believe that that we are I read this quote, I believe that we are spirits trapped inside bodies and And then she said, "What do you think about that?" And I was like, "That's the first time <laughs> I've ever been asked. So I was like I was like, well, that's Gnosticism. i I didn't say that of course, but I, I kind of like, no i I think you can't separate the two.
1: Just scream heresy."
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, you can't separate the two, but that—that's that, a, especially here in Los Angeles, that is so New Agey. Um, that is a that that that's the common understanding that makes people feel better. Is that our bodies that have eating disorders and and tendencies towards self harm and and you know things I don't like about it that, that we can ignore those things because that's not really me, you know. And it, it's it's bringing up control issues that are are detrimental.
0: Which is also kind of strange because modern man also clearly loves his body at the same time Uh, and the caricature that is often put against christianity is that it hates the body Mm. and in mere christianity lewis says no no no! christianity is one of the only great religions that thoroughly approves of the body
2: that believes that matter is good that even at the resurrection you will have a body Mm. i think i think modern society is infatuated with their body but i i most people i meet do not like it there there's Mm. there there like As much as they want to like it, and they like other people's bodies, and they like the idea of what that is, I think that there's an underlying self-hatred that, that needs to be purged and, and purified by our Lord to, to become true love of body that then builds true confidence. But I think that there, there's um, there's a dearth, to use that word, there's, there's a dearth of self-hatred um, in, in, in the world that uh, that is debilitating to so many souls.
1: Can we start using the word dearth on our podcast, please? <laughs> done.
2: Done. <Great. laughs> you owe me 10 um, cents each time you use the
1: word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no worry. We'll forget it pretty quickly. So <laughs> the you know, I I find it interesting though, because I think that this is true, that people think that their their body, their, their position of prayer doesn't affect their soul. But I think it's interesting that this is the case because we so firmly believe that our body and our our position affects everything else in our life, you know, (laughs) it's, it's like people will, people will exercise just so that they feel, they feel better throughout the day. They feel more energized. They feel more and, and the same with eating, you know, it's, they, they might eat well or, or eat healthy or not eat healthy for these reasons. But, but even in the, in, it's, it's almost this sign that we forget that in prayer, we are in relationship with God. Because in in all other kinds of relationship, body language, body position is very important to us, and and you see this in you know when I was when I was a a teacher, you know there would absolutely even subconsciously there would be differences in if I'm standing up in front of the entire class and, and talking to them, or if I see that a, a student is ha- having a hard time, and I'll intentionally kind of kneel down to be at their level to help them with their work, you know, and and I think that we do this in our body language, and in all of our interactions without even realizing it. And so to not think that's the case in our prayer is in some sense to not acknowledge that our prayer is relationship, is encounter with another.
0: I was reading Letters to Malcolm for the first time about the time I started digging deep into the Byzantine church. And for those of you that haven't been, you do a lot of stuff with your body. As Father mentioned, there's Mm -hmm. prostrations, lots of signs of the crosses, you're smelling incense, you're hearing bells, you're singing, you're doing all this stuff.
1: We're kissing everything in sight.
0: (laughs) Kissing everything in sight. I was going to say, be careful when you're near an Eastern Catholic. (laughs) Um, And actually, even in that book, Lewis, he talks about the Greek mass, and he's referring to the same liturgy that we celebrate. And he says, I think that would probably be my preferred way, which is Mm. quite amazing. But the other quotation I came across as I was going through Letters to Malcolm he says the body ought to pray as well as the soul
1: mm. body
0: and soul are both better for it. It's the idea that we have this integrated body soul composite and so yeah it, it 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 would be crazy to isolate one uh, just
2: to the exclusion of the other mm. this is why it's so important to feast on feast days and fast on fast days so that our body and our soul if the if the soul's yearning for the resurrection our body's yearning for food. If our soul is fulfilled by the resurrection, our bodies are fulfilled with food, and it just and and not only food, but just other comforts that that we, we can then engage fasts and feasts with complete authenticity and 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 bodily wholeness.
0: Mm. And if you ever visit a Byzantine church, know that they will be doing one or the other. It's there's, there's never any halfway. <laughs> exactly. They're either feasting or they're <laughs> fasting. Just look at how miserable they look, and that will tell you. We
1: we had a we had a Roman priest here a couple weeks ago, and he said. Um, Roman Catholic priest, good friend of ours. And he said, which, uh, are you guys in one of your Lents right now? And I said, wait, we, we only have one Lent. And he was like, yeah, but isn't it a lot longer? And I said, no, it starts two days before yours. And then he said, but don't you have like a, like a pre-Lent? And then I said, oh, well, oh, well yeah, yeah, we have pre-Lent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, let, let's, let's move on and talk about the egotistical prayer because that's what Screwtape wants he says that whenever we put our focus on God, the demons lose. And he therefore says that Wormwood must get his patient to focus on himself. Mm. He says get him to turn his gaze from God to himself. And I often wonder sometimes after I finish praying, how many times did I say I (laughs) during during that extemporaneous time of prayer? You know, it wasn't particularly humble of me. I was mainly sort of just giving God an update. It's like a, a status report. But, This is where we're coming into the section from which I drew the quote of the week. Screwtape wants the patient to focus on himself and particularly the feelings that he's going to be generating within himself. And he says, keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings and thereby the action of their own wills. When they meant to ask him, God, for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they are doing. Suleype says multiple times, you don't want the guy to realize what he's doing. And he says, when they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they are praying for forgiveness, let them try to feel forgiven. And teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by the success in producing the desired feeling, and never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment and hopefully it's now clear why the alternative title
2: to this letter is feelings feelings nothing more than feelings this is so prevalent in our society and it's so prevalent in our humanity because I, I i i'll bet you and i'm gluing myself in here that there are, that the most humans most christians that's 99 to 100% of their prayer is And and we we see this reflected. I mean, I again I live in Los Angeles, and so there's so much new agey meditation and things like this that are so promoted and getting so popular. And that that they've just that there's an authenticity to that because they've acknowledged, isn't this what prayer is? Isn't this why you pray? Don't don't you, Father Michael, don't don't you have your long hour and a half long liturgies and do all your singing and chanting and and all your weird motions, and don't you do all that just to feel better? Well, I don't need that liturgy to feel better. I can I can do it by going to you know 15 minutes of meditation or doing you know things in my house. Or, and then there's this. But if they're calling us out because in a one sense they're tr- they're right. This this is the way that many of us have seen and experienced prayer. And if it doesn't, it's it's a very um, uh, consumerist mentality. I invest Lord this much effort into it, and then you reward me by feeling this way. Um, And, and the devil's brilliant. That's why C.S. Lewis wrote this. The devil's brilliant in in convincing us to, to focus more on. I I remember one time being on a plane and I was reading the Bible, sitting on the plane. And as I'm reading the Bible, sitting on the plane, I go, I bet I'm the only guy sitting on this plane reading a Bible. I am amazing. I am. I am so holy. Look at these people passing by and watching their movies. And look, look, look at them chatting with the person next to them. Look, I am so holy. You if you would ask me what I, re- I have no idea what I read. It certainly wasn't <laughs> wasn't a prayerful experience. It was just me thinking the about publican myself. And the Pharisee.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: it was me thinking about myself reading the Bible on an airplane. And CSO, another one of the letters. Of course, he talks explicitly about this. About I'm the only God. Only, only Catholic. Who could be out in the clubs the night before and mm-hmm. aren't I amazing? I'm so different than my Father Catholics. And the next morning, oh, I'm the only person in the clubs that could be here in the church, you know, on, on Sunday morning. And look how amazing I am. Yeah, the, the devil's brilliant and and evil, pure.
1: Yeah. And I think too that there's um there's something though about we we want to get these good feelings and we we pray because we want to feel good. I understand that that's part of it, but I think there's something too about simply this, this desire, again, particularly in our society today, this desire to be productive and, and to have something to show for what we do. And so we want to know that the time that we just spent was time well spent. And, and the good feeling might be something that we can use to show that this was time well spent because, because there was this, this positive, seemingly positive effect. but there's times in prayer where I've actually been greatly convicted of sin, and <laughs> and that's an effect, and it's not so feel-goody, but feel good, feel good. But I, I think that it can also, this can become the case as far as productivity when when we want to have some sort of great revelation in prayer, and I think that can be the, the cleverness part of it drawn in, is we, if we're just stuck in our head and we're just thinking through something, and so... So we come to some sort of resolve, and so that's the, the product of this particular time that we've spent, because we don't want to feel like we've wasted time, and if we just walk away from prayer not feeling anything, we might think that we've just wasted this hour or, or however long it is. You know, I was thinking of this um, this particular part of the letter uh, after Divine Liturgy today, and which is what Byzantines call Mass, the Divine Liturgy. Um, and we are praying the the Thanksgiving prayers after communion that that we pray as a community. And this one from Saint Basil, a part of it struck me before, a part of it struck me that hadn't hadn't stu- um, stood out to me before. And he's talking about he's he's praying about these awesome and life-creating mysteries, i.e. the Eucharist. And he says, Grant that they may bring about the healing of my soul and body, the defeat of every enemy, the enlightenment of the eyes of my heart. The calming of my thoughts and emotions, a faith that cannot be confounded, a love that does not pretend, and then and then a multitude of other things, a dearth of other things, if you will, and <laughs> I and I watch. I'm going to use it totally incorrectly and just make a fool of myself, which is good for my humility. But You're
0: totally dearthing it,
1: <laughs> and um, so the the part of a love that does not pretend, I think that that comes into play later um actually in screw tape letters a little bit in this letter but but also more so later but the the calming of my thoughts and emotions Saint Basil the Great here is praying not for an increase in emotions to feel these things but to actually calm them so that he can be focused on the Lord and and I think that's a great counter prayer to what to what screw tape is suggesting here
0: and also you notice a couple of other things in there the healing of my uh, soul and body. Basil mm. puts these two things together, the defeat of every mm. enemy. That's screw tape. Yeah. Mm. And and the on the emotion side of things, it's not to say that they are bad. In one of his letters to Mrs. Frank Jones, Lewis actually comments that Christ could have come as uh, a, a man of stoic nerves, you know, iron nerves. Like some of the representations you see in movies where Jesus, uh, in, in the movies and TV shows, he's always got a slightly far off gaze, doesn't ever seem to be affected by anything. And he says, you know, we worship a God who wept at the grave of Lazarus and sweated blood in Gethsemane. So it's not that these things are bad. It's just that they're very often disordered. And we try and rely on our emotions as a steady diet. And I love what you said, sister, there about we want immediacy. You know, when we want to grow in patience, we want to feel like we've grown in patience. Mm. Not the We don't like the idea of, well, I'm going to be praying about this now every day for months. And even Lois himself says in Mere Christianity, we only notice we've been growing when it's already happened it's when we look back and you go oh i'm you know i'm an inch taller than i was before
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: or or spiritually it's like i have really grown in humility and naturally at that point you've immediately <laughs> lost it all <laughs> <laughs> now moving on uh, screw tape warns wormwood that wherever there is prayer there is danger of god's immediate action and he says that God is cynically indifferent to the dignity of his position and ours, meaning the demons, as pure spirits. And to human animals on their knees, he pours out self-knowledge in quite a shameless fashion, uh, which is that divine condescension that, that uh, it's been traditionally understood that, the, that that is seen as so horrific uh, to, to, to the devils. And I mean, it, it is. When we again, think about that we worship a God who became man, became a little fetus in, 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 inside a, a young girl's body. You know, this, this, is, this is how much God loves us, that he became one of us, as Philippians mm-hmm. talks about. But then Screwtape goes on, and this is where we get into the, the conceptions of God. Because he says, if all else fails, the demons, they have a subtler weapon available to them. Uh, he says uh, that they can never directly perceive God in the way that the demons can. And he says, that's, you know, something horrible that they don't like. But he says, if you look into a patient's mind, he says, you'll find something quite different. It's sort of a, a mishmash of images. I'm going to read the section. It's a little bit longer, but I am really interested as to what you guys think. And it was this section, this is what made me think, I need to get those guys on here. Screwtape writes, if you examine the object to which he is attending, so that he's, that he's praying towards, you'll find that it is a composite object containing many quite ridiculous ingredients. There will be images derived from pictures of the enemy as he appeared during the discreditable episode known as the Incarnation. There will be vaguer, perhaps quite savage and puerile, images associated with the other two persons. Here he's talking about the Trinity, the Father and the Holy Spirit. There will even be some of his own reverence and of bodily sensations accompanying it objectified and attributed to the object revered. I have known cases where what the patient called his God was actually located up and to the left in the corner of his bedroom ceiling or inside his own head or in a crucifix on the wall. Now, <laughs> as Catholics, as Byzantines, people who love icons and statuary and all these kind of external signs, doesn't it kind of sound like Screwtape is saying, yeah, get him to go to a Byzantine church. That should sort him out.
1: Hmm. I, think, I think what he's trying to say is get them to go to a Byzantine church and then don't look to God through the icon. Um, but, but get stuck at the icon and think that, you know, I've, I've, I've known a lot of people who, myself included for a long time, actually, who just was like, I felt like I, well, I couldn't pray if I wasn't, um, if, if there weren't icons there or if I wasn't in this particular, when I was going to a, when I was Roman Catholic, I couldn't pray if I was in, in adoration. Like if, um, if, if the host has been put back in the tabernacle, then, then Jesus isn't there i can't i can't pray anymore um, and i think i think that's what what screwtape is trying to get the patient to focus on is is being dependent upon these tools and seeing them as ends instead of the means through which we can have access to god and the means through which we can see god but they are not they are not god himself they are god can be present in these things but, there, but God is not limited to a presence within these things.
2: And there's a diversity, too, of where God can be seen. Um, so, you know, if, if you can find God in the silence of a, of a beautiful church, but you can't find him in the homeless guy living on the corner, or you can't find him in an ugly church with a horrible homily and with horrible singing or no singing, like, the, the, there's a—God is there as well. So if, if we have created these little idols of of you know, the upper left corner of our room or whatever whatever it is, and said, that is God. And unless any other experiences match what I have decided God is, then I'm going to say that, that that's not God. Um, I have a friend, shout out to Elizabeth Salasco, a beautiful iconographer in Colorado, and she She oftentimes, when she's talking about iconography, talks about the fact that it should not look realistic. You know, people Mm -hmm. criticize our iconography quite often because it doesn't look realistic. The nose is too big and the forehead's too big and there's just something off. It looks like a little kid drew. You know, people say that all the time. And she's very eloquent about saying it, it shouldn't look realistic because then you focus too much on the image in other words, oh my gosh, how beautiful that image is, but an icon is supposed to direct you to something else. So the high forehead symbolizes wisdom, the small mouth, humility, the long nose, receptivity to prayer, the colors, all the lines all symbolize something. So there's obviously a pointing that it does. So it's not a piece of art that, that I, I hang it on my wall and I go, look, a piece of art that, that that's good in itself. And the the perception of the beauty ends here. There, there's, um, we shouldn't be content with iconography we shouldn't be because it points at something beyond itself as sister said it points a medium and and when the art itself makes you anxious in a good way for the next step in what that transcendent art points to then that piece of art iconography incense, spells on the sensor all these things, um, they've done their job if they point to something else and then, in a sense, create an anxiety for the next thing, the next level, rather than just allowing us to be content in itself.
0: It would be sort of like if you were, say, living in Los Angeles, and you realize that Los Angeles is terrible, and you should just <laughs> drive down to San Diego. And you start driving towards San Diego, and then you see a sign pointing you to San Diego saying it's 50 miles away and then stopping at the sign and saying, oh, we're at San Diego. You know, it's the dumbest mm. thing ever. Keep yeah, going. Right. Keep going.
2: I feel attacked, mm-hmm. but yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> you know I get assigned here, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're right. And now, now I'm in San Diego. Yeah, the, the beauty of it is not the sign identifying the beginning of it, but rather it points to something else where, where the substance of what you are looking for, you can find it. Yeah. Amen.
0: Lewis actually talks about this in, of all places, an experiment in criticism. He says, A crucifix exists in order to direct the worshipper's thought and affections to the passion. It had better not have any excellencies, subtleties, or originalities which will fix attention upon itself. Hence, devout people may, for this purpose, prefer the crudest and emptiest icon. The emptier, the more permeable, and they want, as it were, to pass through the material image and go beyond.
1: Yeah, I think that this i mean we we see this all the time not just in not just in religious art the crucifix things like that that we talk about here in icons but we see it even in the 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 icons that god gives us in the rest of our lives this happens all the time with marriage right people think that in in marriage this is where they're going to find their fulfillment or they're they're looking to just be happy in this place and they're and they're so focused upon that that they can forget that the marriage is meant to be an icon, the marriage is meant to be a sign, pointing them to God, pointing them to to union with the Trinity. And and it's it's the same thing. It's that they they get focused in their mind, um, where they're supposed to be. Yeah, it's just it's a getting it's a getting stuck. And it's and this happens whenever we basically will change um where we'll put the bounds upon upon God, we'll put the limitations upon him.
0: And I think Lewis would say that's where we need some form of iconoclasm, but a, but a, a true righteous iconoclasm. Uh, he actually wrote when he met the woman who had become his wife, Joy Davidman, she asked him to sign her copy of The Great Divorce. And he wrote a note in the front before he signed it saying that uh, we must constantly uh, smash and redefine, uh, renew our understandings of ourselves our neighbor and God, mm.
2: and as soon as you think you've got one of those sorted out, no, you haven't. You need to start again. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful because the the something like that. I mean, I, when you first started that quote, I thought, well, is he referring to the book itself? You know, the, with his signature in it. So the 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 book itself and his signature should be smashed because it should make her a better person. And obviously, ultimately, someone he fell in love with. But, but be, the, the, that's the point of the book. The book isn't to be put on a scene in a bookshelf. And the signature isn't to be seen as something, an end in itself. Oh, you met C.S. Lewis. But the, 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 these, these books make us better, holier people. And that's the true victory of his writing, not the, the physical book itself, which we could become so obsessed with.
1: I've had a really beautiful point on this about how we have to, we have to walk this thin line between iconoclasm and idolatry and because it's it's when we when we have the icon um we we can either look at it as an icon and that's when we're on that thin line or we can worship it in and of itself instead of worshiping god having the idolatry there or because of that throw it out on the other side and and there has to yeah there has to be that that balance that learning to see the gift that god has given us instead of grasping at it and trying to make it what we want it to be
0: and that's why screwtape says that The patient is never allowed to make those kinds of distinctions.
1: Mm.
0: And he says, if he ever consciously directs his prayers, and here he's quoting, I'm not sure if it's Augustine's Confessions or Anselm's uh, Proslogion, uh, but he says, if he ever directs his prayers to, not to what I think thou art, but to what thou knowest thyself to be. He says, as soon as he does that, we're in deep, deep trouble. Because he says, as soon as all Mm -hmm. of his thoughts and images, everything else is flung aside or even even retained, but retained with a full recognition that it's it's a merely s- subjective nature. Uh, as soon as he starts trusting himself in the thing that this is pointing towards—the real, the external, the invisible presence—he says, "Then, then all bets are off. Then
2: we're in real trouble." There's something about God's self-definition there that is so important. We, even even our language in the Byzantine Church, we use the word "mercy" to mean what God does. So, what 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 is what is God when I when I ask God to do something with me? The phrase "Lord have mercy" just means I'm going. One of the things it means is is that Lord, you do what you do. Because I'm not. If I try to define that, I'm gonna I'm gonna undercut. I'm, I'm gonna miss. I'm not gonna go big enough. So when mm-hmm. I say "Lord have mercy," I'm saying, "Lord, you define what you do in my life, and then do that thing." It's sort of the other way around that most of
0: us do, which is we pray, we tell God everything that we want Him to do and give us. And then in our slightly holier moment as we're ra- wrapping up, we say, oh, but I will be done.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: And Screwtape ends by asserting something quite incredible. He says humans actually don't want that kind of prayer. He says in avoiding this situation, one of, of, of real connection, of looking beyond all of the signs to the true object, which is God. He says that will end in a real nakedness of soul in prayer. And he says it's much helped by the fact that that the humans themselves, they don't want it. And he says there's such a thing as getting more than one bargained for. And when I read that, I immediately thought, no, that's not true. Everybody wants union with God. And the more I thought about it, it's like, "Ah, you know what? No, I think he's right. It is the most terrifying thing in prayer to pray and actually mean it. Lord, your will be done. You know, Mm -hmm. this is what I want. But if you want me to do something different, if you want me to go somewhere, if you want me to talk to somebody, I will do it. You know Samuel's response, Lord, here I am. Send me. Even the times that I say that, I very often am really hoping, really hoping that the Lord has other plans. Mainly, me staying at home on the couch watching Netflix. Mm. <laughs> so as we wrap up this letter, uh, we move into our screw tape unscrewed segment, where we take all of the twisted advice of screw tape and untwist it. We straighten it out into just some simple do's and don'ts. Uh, and occasionally perhaps even offer a listener challenge if someone's up for it. And I came up with a few. Uh, what would you what would you say is some uh, simple, straightforward advice that we can take by untwisting screwtapes logic?
1: Um well, I think one would be to to really discern what you should be doing with your body in prayer. Um, and yeah, i would I would challenge people to to really take that seriously of whether they should be kneeling or standing probably laying in bed as Father Michael gave us the example is not the not the best option.
0: And I would suggest if anybody if you don't normally kneel when you pray do it this week. Even if it's just as soon as you get out of bed you pray an Our Father or a daily offering or even just say Lord be with me this day. Get on your knees just for 10 seconds. There is definitely it's 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 obviously very difficult to describe the difference but there is I always feel a difference within myself. When I do that, yeah. and and particularly when I'm not used to it, I can with everyone else. I can still go through the motions uh, as 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 good as the best Pharisee. But when I haven't been kneeling and I do kneel and actually think about what I'm what I'm doing, it it it, it does catch me short. Uh, the other one I had was don't disdain formal prayers because that's one of the things that Scrutate wants him to uh, to dismiss out of hand. You know those formal prayers that he learnt as a child. It's like the, these are formal prayers because they're prayers that people have prayed that are beautiful and that have moved people. And so the church went, we're going to take that. We're going to teach it to other people
2: so they can also have a pattern of prayer. And I would I would actually encourage people to do that exact thing, David, I was going to say before you did, is that pray, try praying literally the way you did when you were five. Mm. So my family, my mom would say, dear God, and then we'd all say, dear God. <laughs> and then we would we would pray for our intentions that we'd say, our father, hail Mary, glory be uh angel archangel prayer and you know these things like like don't 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 disparage don't mock don't um don't dismiss the beauty of the prayer when you were five and 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 when your parents had to teach you how to pray when you were young and do that even when you're older and, and and see the beauty in those in those ritualistic prayers when you're trying to memorize things when you're four
1: i would add to that um in tying it to something else that as you're praying these prayers listen to the words and see if there's something there that strikes you that is a different image of God than the image that you've built into your mind um, if there's something that you can learn there about him that is not the the picture that you've painted
0: at the moment my wife and I are reading through the Bible in a year and we're going through one of the wisdom books which was Ecclesiastes we're going through Ecclesiastes and It's speaking about salvation history and about the saving acts of wisdom. And it's all spoken with the feminine pronoun. And that is also something that I am not quite so used to hearing so often. Mm. (laughs) Mm. And with regards to shaking up your prayer life, uh, one thing that I was taught back in my Protestant years was ACTS, A-C-T-S, as a model for prayer, that we spend time adoring God, adoration, so praising God for who he is uh, contrition, where we say we're sorry for the sins that we've, that we've committed. T is thanksgiving. So thanking God for the things that he's given us. And then last supplication. Um, so if you, if you find yourself, if you, if you find prayer is simply a monologue of you, uh, giving God a list of everything that you want, maybe try that acts. So adoration, conf- uh, contrition, confession, um, thanksgiving and supplication. And I'd say the other major thing from this letter is don't value your prayers based on the feelings generated. And don't try and put God in a box. So I think that's it. Father, sister, thank you for co-hosting with me today. Uh, Can you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you and listen to what God is not?
2: Sure. Uh, We... uh you are on Buzzsprout, which is our, our hosting. So if you go to Buzzsprout or just Google Buzzsprout what God is not, you'll find our quote website. We might have a real website eventually, but we are also on Apple podcasts. We're on Spotify. we're, we're pretty much anywhere you find podcasts nowadays uh, through Buzzsprout. Uh, you can contact us what God is not podcast at gmail.com and then we are on uh, Facebook uh, under a page called What God is Not Podcast and then my name Father Michael O'Loughlin, and we are also on Instagram um, under What God Is Not, and then we will soon be on Twitter. But my my personal uh, handle at this point is Padre Michael O, and I'm using that as my Twitter um, for po- for uh, podcasting as well.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that we have stuff on Twitter.
2: We we don't yet. Um, this is me me sharing it with the world and you, sister, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: you know, you've got now about two months to go get to. You've go, you got about exactly. two months to actually make that not a lie. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Father, would you mind closing the podcast with your blessing?
2: Absolutely. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord grant all of you who are dedicated enough to your search for truth and your love of beauty that you are listening to this podcast about C.S. Lewis and your dedication to fighting the works of the devil, to being protected by our Lord and the Holy Theotokos in his attacks, that your guardian angel may always be empowered to protect you in any way, that you may be dedicated to true and authentic prayer, that you may be humble enough to acknowledge the ways when your prayer has not been helpful in the way the Lord has guided, and also confident enough to understand the hope and the peace that Christ brings through this prayer. May our Lord bless you and your families, those you love, that you may be true instruments of his work in the world, that you may do everything for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God and for the upbuilding of the church and the salvation of your souls. May the Lord bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And join us next time when we'll be going further
0: up.
1: And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.